I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Sarah. We're two English teachers reclaiming literacy through pop culture. Welcome to LitThink. All right, well, hey, you guys, we're trying something new today here at LitThink. And that thing that we're trying is we invited someone else into the conversation. So, hey, you know, Alicia and Sarah, if this is your first time checking in, get to know us pretty quickly. But then we're also here with this amazing person named Casper Turkile. If you have never heard of Casper, I will tell you how I first got to know him, which goes all the way back to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. That is a podcast that one of my colleagues actually recommended when we were studying Beowulf, of all things, she says, oh, this is the way to like make a harder text more engaging for students. And so since then, I have used a lot of the spiritual practices on that podcast and teaching poetry to students. It is a really fun resource if you think about kind of the ideas we use at LitThink. It's a different lens to use something similarly through that podcast. But since then, Casper, excuse me, has moved on to a project called The Nearness, which is all about how do we as humans connect with each other? How do we build community with each other? But innately, how does our spirit get fed across time and space? And how can we create community, especially on the internet? So I love The Nearness. I love Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, welcome. Do you have anything you want to say before we get going? Woohoo! Thank you so much for having me. Um, I I am so thrilled uh, that we get to talk about the particular uh, topic and text that we're looking at today, and uh, just really grateful to be with mm. you. Thanks, thanks for having me. So our our topic for today was chosen by Casper. We're going to go back into the. I don't know, the vaults. There we go. We'll go Disney. We're going to go back to the vaults and open it up. And we're going to find an old movie that we all love dearly called You've Got Mail. Sarah, tell me a little bit about You've Got Mail. Why are we checking it out? What are we doing here? We thought it'd be a good lens to look at the idea of epistolary novels and pen pal romances. So just this idea of letter writing and the anonymity. (laughs) of trying to communicate with people in even this new age like we talk about the internet age and you've got mail came out at the beginning of the internet age as people are starting to use aol they're sending emails i mean it came out in what it came out in what 1998 which was Right. Yeah, yeah, I started I college in 97 right. and that was right when I got my very first email address. Right. So like a lot of people are just getting into this whole chat room and maybe not necessarily knowing who they're talking to, but also enjoying this new world of connectivity that we didn't have before. And it was this idealistic utopian ideal or like we're going to walk into this now and we can talk to people around the world way before social media kind of blew all that up <laughs> and so it was just a really great place to start this conversation of a new age a romanticized age of love letters and letter writing and learning about somebody through the written word not necessarily face to face can we talk about real quick the the intro, which would have been considered so high tech when it first uh, yeah. came out? You know, as they're zooming uh-huh. in, 
and this digital version of New York City, and you hear the dial-up tone. Well, so you know, I grew up in rural Indiana, so I mean, it, very common. You're going to watch a movie on YouTube or a video, a five-minute video on YouTube. You clicked the link, and then you went and made your popcorn and any other snacks you wanted. <laughs> and maybe by the time you came back upstairs, two minutes of that link would be uh-huh. ready for you to watch. Um, I think when the epic Lady Gaga music video started coming out when I was in high school, and I would be like, all right, well, here's my evening, is waiting for this video <laughs> to fully <laughs> upload so I could watch it. Uh, but anyway, that and then the dial-up tone, I mean, there was so much, interestingly, nostalgia returning to this film. Uh, but Casper, why did you specifically pick this? I'm curious why this is the one that came up to the mm. surface for you. I feel like we all have movies that are not necessarily the greatest movie all time, but to us Mm -hmm. are the greatest movie all time. Mm -hmm. And You've Got Mail is that movie for me. I watched it for the first time when I was a teenager in a boys boarding house. Um, And as a queer little kid, I think what I loved so much about this movie was two things. One was that it was less, it was less a romance film in the sense of like watching two people be together. Mm. And it was more a yearning for romance Mm. film in that you got to see two people long for each other without knowing who that other person Mm. was. And so I really identified with that longing for all the kind of like, you know, desperate teenage (laughs) feelings that I had and all these boys that I was interested in who of course didn't even know about me let alone you know reject me but so I I love that sense of yearning and actually on this rewatch it was the first time that I enjoyed the ending scene where they actually meet Mm. and knowing who both of them are and that that you see their eyes lock in Riverside Park in in New York and and you know the character Joe played by Tom Hanks has already known that Meg Ryan is the woman that he loves um, the, or the character played by Meg Ryan. But this is the first time that Meg realizes that, that you know, or, or Kathleen Kelly, as we should call her, that Kathleen realizes that Joe is the man that she loves. And that was the first time I really enjoyed the scene because I guess now that I've been like together with my husband for 10 and a half years, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can I can appreciate that for what mm-hmm. it is. So anyway, the first thing I love about it is is this yearning quality. And I th- I think this anonymity that you mentioned, Sarah, is the second one because... At that age, you know, I only came out when I was 16, 17 at home, maybe 15, 16 at school. And so there were definitely many years where, like, my inside was different from my outside. Mm. And that, that this, this kind of secretive, because no one really knows, uh, certainly in, in, in the character of Joe, he doesn't really talk about it much. He has one colleague who he talks about it with. Um, and for Kathleen, you know, she shares it with her colleagues and and, and things as well. But like, it, it, it's an unknown. It's like, it, it's a mystery on the other side. And so I think being able to like be who I really felt through letter writing or through email writing or, or through imagined email writing felt very liberating in a way that like just being out in the world was not yet possible for me. Um, so there was something safe about that anonymity, which which also appealed to me. Well, and Casper, you bring up two, I think, really, really interesting ideas before we go into really lit thinking this film. One, I mean, this film is ultimately about community, as both of them are hmm. rearranging what their community looks like. You know, Joe is maybe trying to think, how can I be more than just this corporate head in the world? How can I also have a heart and compassion and invest in a neighborhood and the people in it. And Kathleen is then in a similar way, the community she's always known is being pulled apart 
and she's searching for without my mother, without this space that always been, has always been my touch point for my mother, what do I have in the world? Who do I have in and, the world? And we should say, yeah, for people who haven't seen the movie, they, so Kathleen runs a children's bookstore called The Shop Around the Corner, mm-hmm. and it's, it's run out of business by the new big kind of uh, a big bookstore that comes into town, which is this corporate uh, Fox Books, which is run by by Joe and and his family, and so they're rivals in mm-hmm. real life, mm-hmm. and and then secretly over email they they fall in love without knowing who the other person is. Um, I yeah, it's about community. I think it's also about identity. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, Kathleen says to Joe, "You are nothing but a suit, mm-hmm. right? Where 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 you should have a heart, you have a cash register, and where you know something like that. Where where your soul is, you have a a, a, a balance sheet." Mm-hmm. And I think he feels. You know, it really hits home. He's like, that is who I've become. It's not who I am, but it's if I don't change something that is that that is who I am. And I think she has inherited this store and it's beautiful. And her mother was enchanting and the store was enchanting and she has run it beautifully. But she also says towards the end of the film, you know, if if this business hadn't gone under, I would never have started to write a children's book. Like whoever thought I would write, she says. And so there's something in this painful transition that also means she's discovering more about who she is and who she can become. And it's it's partly through their interactions, both over email, right? Like she, she says, he encouraged me to write this stranger on the internet. And in their in-person interactions, when she launches this zinger at him about being nothing but a suit, mm-hmm. that I think they're both challenged and invited into like the next chapter of who they might become in the, in this beautiful mm-hmm, way. Yeah. Well, so then the, the number two thing you brought up is just the, the crucial role that the internet has played now for a few generations for queer individuals in their coming out journey. Yeah. And uh, one of my other right. favorite queer podcasts said, you know, to, to be queer is to constantly come out to yourself and others. And so some of that is, is trying on yeah. identities, trying on different hats, trying on different yes. uh, pronouns, different names, different relationships. And oftentimes the internet is the space yeah. where you trial and error that before you bring it in into your IRL space. So uh, yes, both, I think, really, really beautiful, fascinating things. Um, I'm going to stop there because I, I want to make sure we're also still keeping Sarah in our conversation. So Sarah, <laughs> come us, bring us back to lit thinking. If we're saying that you've got mail is an epistolary text, what does that mean? What is that epistolary term there um the epistolary text is going to be letter a a story that is written through letters so as and they can be letters one person just writing letters to an anonymous person it can be two people or multiple people writing letters back and forth and kind of compiling this story together um because it takes us into a first person point of view that you don't necessarily get if it's just a first person story. Um, I think people, when they're writing letters tend to be, I, and I discovered this myself, you know, I tend, when I write, I tend to be more honest with myself and I tend to be more honest with the people that I'm writing to. And when you're talking about online spaces, like we see that too, and you've got mail, people are even more honest about who they are when they have those private chat rooms, because you are doing it without your face involved. They may not know where you live. They don't know who you are. So you can actually be real about who you are. And that's what we see in these epistolary novels. We see people that are being honest. And, uh, you know, you, 
something like Dracula, which I've taught. And, and as I teach Dracula, I, I try to point out to my students, I'm like, so they're writing letters to each other. They're writing journals. Jonathan is so honest in his journal in ways that he wouldn't be if somebody were to just sit down and talk to him. And when he hands mm-hmm. Mina his journal, it's this beautiful moment. And I try to point out to my students all the time. I'm like, this is the Victorian era. Men and women had very strict rules that they were supposed to follow. And women were not supposed to know these things. But he in a very non-Victorian way, hands over his deepest thoughts to his wife and says, here, read them if you think you can handle it. And she doesn't for a while because she's trying to respect his privacy. But then when she finally sits down and reads them, she understands her husband in a way that many wives during the Victorian era did not know their husbands. And I, I try to point out all the time, it's a beautiful moment. And let's let's sit in this moment of him handing this over to her. Um, so that's an epistolary novel. Uh, we also get another form of the epistolary, epistolary novel is pen pal romances, where you have two people that are writing back and forth to each other. Sometimes they know who the other person is. Sometimes they don't. Um, but as they're writing back and forth, we see the love story unfold in ways that we wouldn't see if we weren't getting their private thoughts to each other, if we were just getting kind of an outsider view of it. And it's a beautiful but very complex storytelling technique. It is not an easy thing to tell a good story through letters and those that master it. It's, it's, I love it. I love seeing it actually happen in an effective way as opposed to just a straight story that even if it's first person, it's just not the same. Well, and we have seen this across so many really famous texts. I mean, Frankenstein arguably is a frame story that begins with a letter. And um, this is why, you know, I always bring up to my students that we need to emphasize the fallibility then of the story. Because if this is supposed to be, I am writing down what Victor Frankenstein told me. Okay, fine. Like he's telling it to me, I'm writing it down. But then Victor is telling to me what the monster said to him. At some point we have to admit what we have written down. It, It brings in the flawed narrator I think in a really beautiful way, Dracula does as well, because there has to be um, pathos, which you know, the, the personal lens that is going to taint, taint the story in some way. And this is such an important emphasis on audience, as you were saying, Sarah, there's I mean, honesty with yourself, but I think then beyond a journal, when you think specifically, I'm writing to this person and I'm thinking about my relationship with this person. Um, one of my favorite examples of that is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society that came out just a few years ago. The intimacy of that story as this woman who is coming to this island and interacting with these people and writing back to one of her best friends, she, of course, is going to talk about her hopes and fears and even specific details that came up for her that she might not share if she's just writing a record of her day that could end up in a newspaper or you know, in some other public space. Um, And I even think of The Perks of Being a Wallflower is another great example of just someone writing solo. I mean, this becomes a therapy session where they, instead of just writing a journal, they are writing directly to someone, but the level of what they can share as they feel like they have someone who's listening opens up a part of the story in a really beautiful and important way. Alicia, if I may, I think that is the key that unlocks the understanding of this particular mm-hmm. epistolary story. Mm-hmm. Because in at one point, 
Kathleen's character says, you know, she's been disappointed because she thinks they'd agreed to meet up and, and she thinks the, the man who she's been writing to didn't show up. Now, of course, he did, but he realized <laughs> who she was and she he had a different reaction to it. And so she's saying, like, I don't know why you didn't show up tonight. And I'm sure you have a good reason. And I hope one day you'll tell me. But I hope we'll, we'll keep writing to each other because I want you to know. And I think the phrase is like, you know. All of, we've we've been talking about nothing really all this time, but all of these nothings mean so much more than so many somethings, mm-hmm. and and so in this case, it's not that she's sharing that because like in these other examples, we see real deep or or difficult information being shared, or right like what's being shared is big, mm-hmm. and in many ways, the letters, the emails in this story are kind of small. Mm-hmm. It's it's about reflections on life in a very easeful way. But I love that you say it's the quality of listening. Mm-hmm. That's what feels different in this relationship. They both have, you know, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, like in their in their IRL life. But both of those relationships are are illustrated to be, you know, fine, <laughs> but not deep. And I think there is a depth of listening. And this is, you know, why I love the work in the Nearness too. It's like it's 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 cultivating our capacity to really listen to each other with that deep deep awareness and deep generosity of presence because when we're listened to like that mm. even if we're saying something that isn't that interesting we feel heard mm. we feel appreciated we feel witnessed and seen and we feel kind of made whole like even if i'm sharing sharing something that's dumb <laughs> like you're still here like that means that's part of me in a way that's okay mm. and i that's what i love so much about these letter writing scenes is is the way they listen to each other i think you hit the nail on the head I was hoping you'd bring up that quote. Let me just say that real quick. So, bravo, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> a plus to you. Sarah, what were you going to say? Well, I, I think we talk about that little stuff. You know, I, that's the stuff that builds a solid relationship. Yeah. When we see them yeah. with their partners, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. They're, they're okay. Fine. They're fine. But Where are my Tic Tacs? <laughs> <laughs> but it's... That is just banal conversation that doesn't go anywhere. That's yeah, just con- that's exactly conversation right. that is not showing any curiosity about the other person. It's not showing yeah. anything that they can build off of. And while, yes, they are sharing these little things and these emails back and forth, the little stuff they're sharing back and forth really show their character. Mm-hmm. They show who they are. And they're being real in very small pieces with each other that we never see them do with their partners ever and i i think that's they they notice it they know it and it's i think it's a beautiful moment when kathleen breaks up with her boyfriend that the two of them just kind of look at each other and they're like we like each other we're so perfect for each other why but we don't love each other and the fact that they're both able to be adults and look at each other and say this isn't working let's just move on and be happy with our lives is the way I think most people wish they could break up with somebody (laughs) that they wish they could have a relationship that just kind of runs its course. And then you're like, okay, let's move on. Let's go to something better and deeper. And they both do find something better and deeper, but they have to have that adult conversation where they're able to just move on. Also Greg Kinnear and Apollo neck. Yes. Yes. Oh it's so funny to watch these characters, these actors from so long ago. I'm looking, I'm rewatching yeah. this as a, a film that came out in '98, and I'm thinking, wow, this is coming on 25 years ago, and that's these actors have come a long way, man. Yep, <laughs> so long, a long way. Well, and I, I think 
everything that you guys are bringing up, what, what's interesting about this being a film versus a, a, a true epistolary text, you know, we look at something like The Color Purple or um, even the YA novel Element OP, when you're only getting the letters and nothing in mm. between, you don't have these moments that add perspective to the the pieces, the, the minutiae that are being shared with each other in the, the epistolary sense. So I, I think that's also just kind of an interesting thing to think about that what's beautiful about this film, I, I think I mentioned before we started recording, this film would not have the nuance it did if we didn't have the dramatic irony in the first five minutes. That's right. That we as the yeah. audience immediately know, oh, they're writing to each other. And then we start to see who they actually are to each other. And, but then this is how they're talking to each other without knowing. Um, it comes back to just, it, I love one of my favorite scenes is when Tom Hanks is trying to come up. How does he explain why he wasn't yeah. there? And we watch him editing that email in a true epistolary text, you're not going to see that revision process. But I love, he even, I, I noticed again last night, he had a sentence yes. where he said like something for not being there. And he changed like, yes. he changed it to something else about like four, I can't remember what he changed it to, but he, he changed it to, again, more open-ended wording that he, he never said I wasn't there. Exactly. Because that would be a lie right. because he was there. Right. And, and it's, I love, I love that point is that we get to see his revisions mm -hmm. on screen mm -hmm. because we get, you know, at first he wants to say, you know, I was stuck in a meeting and then the elevator broke and then, then the telephone also went out and I, I was <laughs> stuck, you know, and then he's, and you just see him like, his dog is looking over his shoulder and his dog looks at him. And he's like, yeah, this is not going to fly. And he's deleting <laughs> You know, he's actively like, he, like double tapping yeah. the backspace button. I'm like, just hold down the backspace button, baby. But okay, it's more dramatic. Like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> he's not yet figured that out. And it's, Early computer it's, age. It's so, right, exactly. And it's such a beautiful moment because we get to see what it means for him to have these conversations. I think goes back to what you were saying before. It's like, he tells the truth. Mm. And to 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 lie in this, in this epistolary format is undoing the very fabric of the relationship that he has with this woman, even though he now knows this, this is his like uh -huh. enemy or right. Like he's like, I'm not gonna, I don't want to degrade what these letters have meant and, and who I am in these letters. Cause I love the me that I am in these letters. Mm. And so I, I love that you're pinpointing that moment because it, it speaks to the truth telling that's been happening in the writing. Can we also talk about the aging of their, their live chat moment? So we definitely have these, they exchange oh emails with each, with each other. They met in a live chat room, in an over 30 chat room. But uh, my partner and I were sitting on the couch last night watching this and I was laughing saying, they don't even have three dots to say that the person's still online with them. Like <laughs> yeah. they just have to wait <laughs> and wish. And I was thinking back to my high school crush, I would wait until he came home from baseball practice to help him with his homework. And so I would just stay oh online God. and just wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alicia. Oh, I know. There's a desperation here that we don't need to quit. <laughs> oh, I literally have written to a boy I had a crush on, good night, dear Void. So, like, I have you covered. Don't you worry. It's so But much I think worse. about, right, like, and I, I made sure, you know, like, you have, it was an MSN messenger, you know, have your, your status of you're, like, currently listening yep. to. You had to have some signal besides maybe just the green dot that you're online to let them know you're here and you're ready to, to communicate with them. Mine was even beyond the, the, 
chat rooms because we had a long distance relationship for three and a half years before we got married. And so I was in college in Nebraska and my husband was in Michigan. And so email was like that we saw each other over breaks because we were, our parents lived like half a mile from each other. So we would see each other over breaks, but email was it. Like if we had not had email, snail mail would not have cut it. If we had not had email, we never would have lasted. And I would be stopping at the computer lab on my way to class. And I'd be checking my email on my way to class and make sure that, yeah, I got an email from him. And we had thread. I think we talk about chat threads now, Mm -hmm. but we had email threads that would go for pages and pages and pages. And sometimes it would be the stupidest things we would say to each other. And then sometimes they'd be like, and we had fights over email. Because <laughs> when else? Because phone calls were expensive. And so you have those conversations. So there was a lot being said over words. And that whole, like, am I going to say this? So I'm going to delete that. Am I going to say this? And I'm going to delete that. So that whole playing that game of how do you really want to phrase this? There was a lot of having to be carefully sifting through that. And I think, you know, you point out that. I was thinking about with the two of them, it really kind of shows the complexity of of who we are as humans, Mm -hmm. right? Because they see each other in two very different lights Mm -hmm. online. They see each other one way. And then in real life, they see each other another way. And it just goes to show in a much more nuanced way than I think I ever noticed the first time I saw the film and probably because things have changed with the internet, just how people are not always what we see them yes. as yes. in two, like in person or even online. They're mm. not always who we see them as online either. And I, it's a good thing to remember that people are complicated and, and we need to pay attention to that too. And, and there are so many little echoes of those, of that key insight, I think in different relational like in different relational contexts in the movie. So there's a character called Birdie, who's the kind of accounting, you know, support staff person for Kathleen in the children's bookshop. And she used to work for her mother. So she's a little older. And when, when Kathleen decides that the the store is to close down, they have tea together with, with another employee. And clearly she, she, she lives in a nice part of the Upper West Side and she has a nice apartment and they're having tea and, and they're kind of egging Birdie on to tell a story. <laughs> and she's like, well... I did once fall in love, but it wasn't to be. And they're like, oh, excellent. What's this story? And she says, well, he ran Spain. (laughs) And later, Kathleen's boyfriend is like, she was dating Generalissimo Franco, fascist dictator. And it's, it's, you know, it's a comedic moment, but I think it echoes that point, which is like, who knows who you meet and when you meet and how you meet and where you meet. I mean, I feel like if I had met my husband two years before or, or 10 years or three years after, like maybe we wouldn't have been together, you know, like that timing is so crucial. And, and what I love about this movie is that Tom Hanks's character, there is a real choice point where he could say, Oh God, the woman I've been talking to is that woman. I hate that woman. I'm not responding. I'm never seeing her again. And something you know, he has this conversation with his father who has, got, I think, going through his third divorce or like, so, and and he's like, well, meeting the next woman is easy. And I mean, do you know the perfect person you want to be with? And Tom Hanks is just like, wait, I do. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that we don't have a good relationship in person, I am going to overcome that so that I can be with the with this person that I have witnessed and, and encountered because 
this is special and I don't want to let it go. And like, oh my God, I feel myself welling up even thinking about that because it's like, it speaks to frankly how hard it can be <laughs> in any relationship. Yeah. And that it's, you know, I, <clears throat> we're a non-swearing podcast, I assume, but that it's, that it's freaking <laughs> difficult sometimes. Um, and, and I just love that he, you know, and that there are some lines that I think in 2023 are different. You know, the yeah. way he walks into her apartment when she's sick, when she says, don't come in. You know, th- there are moments that look very, to, to my eyes as a man in 2023, I think I would have seen that differently mm-hmm. in 1998. Um, so I, I don't want to say this is perfect, but what I want to point to is his his willingness to kind of do something that's hard in order to to find and build the relationship that he wants with her. And, and it, that's a beautiful thing. Well, so let yeah. me English teacher that a little bit. I think one of the other things yeah. I didn't bring up earlier is Joe very distinctly has, is a foil to both his father and his grandfather. Yes. We yes. actually hear, right, that his grandfather almost had a relationship with Kathleen's yes. mother. Cecilia. So, we had a date once. Such beautiful penmanship. <laughs> Every time we hear about the shop around the corner, right? like we hear that, that soundbite. Um, so we hear also, like his grandfather had this moment for maybe something real, and he instead has chosen yeah. to also just be a womanizer. I mean, Joe has an aunt who is young enough to be his child. Yes. And then we have his father who has been through multiple divorces. He ends up on a boat with his father in the middle of his breakup because that's what Fox men do. We, we go on the boat and let everything settle down, and then we either move back into our apartment or we get a new apartment. Right. So... Joe definitely, and that's, I think what's just so interesting as well is he, that also what's modeled for him in front of him is what he could be. He could just keep, he clearly is with the woman that he's been with because that's the type of woman you end up with is either some big businesswoman or some woman who is very beautiful or they can serve you right. in some way, but they don't necessarily right. challenge you. And that's maybe one of the beautiful distinctions we see between Joe and Kathleen and Joe and his previous partner is is that distinction. Um, and then how his father and grandfather show him ultimately what he could do, but also kind of what not to do if he wants something real. Yeah. 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 Mm. So I have to just bring up another great rom-com film that I always, when I think about language, and that we've kind of circled around this, but it, maybe this is kind of a good ending point to summarize but um I, i've used i think almost every time i taught a speech unit i love the opening scene in hitch because we hear the breakdown of communication and when we think about an epistolary text again this is the interesting distinction of you've got mail because we have some of that background again like when they're in chat we see both of them like pausing and thinking before they type to each other about <laughs> the godfather and such um But 60% of our language is body language. So even right now, as the three of us are talking to each other, it'd be different than if we were just on a group phone call. We can all see each other's faces. Mm -hmm. We can see our gestures, our mannerisms, our nodding when we're like, oh yeah, you got it. Uh, Tone is, is so crucial. I think I would argue this is why I think podcasting has become so big for a lot of Mm. people. It's one thing to just sit here and read article after article. It's another thing to hear people's passion for a subject. But then in an epistolary text, if it's not a film, all you're really getting is just the words on the page. So um, I'm curious for you guys, talk to me about how you think that impacts story. Either in You've Got Mail or just in general. How would you guys respond to that question? 
I mean, what's interesting is the the first time they meet, they have a very cute interaction in the store. Um, uh, Tom Hanks's character is with his, as you were saying, his brother and his aunt, who are actually both like five and seven or something. And they end up walking past the children's store and, and it's and it's story hour. So they sit down. And so he gets to watch Kathleen Kelly tell this lovely story at the story time. And he, he ends up buying some books and it's, it's very cute. Um, the second time they meet is at a cocktail party. And this is where he has some zingers and she just stands there holding this very large knife in a kind of threatening way. <laughs> and and the, the, the tone of their encounter is really pointed and is pretty one way because she's like, why are you taking all of the caviar? It's a garnish. And he then, he, he like doubles down. He's like, I'm going to scrape it all just to annoy you, you know? Um, and what I love is that she then asks, um, you know, they, they kind of have a confrontation um, and uh, Greg Kinnear's character, Kathleen Kelly's partner, comes next to her and is kind of joining the ranks and then says, how do you sleep at night? And Tom Hanks's girlfriend joins the conversation and says, oh, take half a, like, half a sleeping pill. It gives you just the perfect amount of hangover. And it's such a great example of a question that in one context is this pointed, aggressive, right? The tone is yeah. really kind of nasty, but she walks in, is totally oblivious to it. And it's like, oh, you're asking a question like, how, how do you, you know, what, what, how can you get to sleep better? And it, it just illustrates, I think, that exact um, increased information availability that then changes the whole conversation. Um, and in some ways, you know, the, the fact that they are writing to each other maybe means they're also taking more care with their tone. Um, like they, because in a spoken context, A, it's immediate and B, you might be revealing more than you want to. And with writing, perhaps there's, there's, you can certainly edit, uh, but also I, I think we're able to construct more of who we might want to be on the page. Um, so that, that strikes me just, I, I love that, that kind of, uh, yeah, the, 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 the fuller version of, of, of the, uh, uh, of the information. Maybe the final thing I'll say is that in that very last scene when they really encounter each other, both knowing who the other person is, there's very few words. It all happens on their faces because that you see, first she thinks he's joking and then she's like, oh, it's you. And then there's a moment where she's disappointed, where she's like, oh, I had dreamed of someone. And then she's like, no, wait, because I, I would have loved, you know, it so you're, you're seeing so much. And I think this is why they're so, such great actors. And so that kind of context, right, you're not going to capture on the page because it, it's it's happening immediately. It's happening unconsciously um, in, in this really, really beautiful way. But like intention is what I'm hearing is a big part of this. Yeah. Which let's be honest, is also yeah. different than a lot of other internet communication these days. Intention oh, uh, and, for and sure. thought, forethought <laughs> isn't always at the front of that of our form of communication now but sarah what was to say we don't see they don't see each other's body language when they're writing to each other but as an audience we do see their body language when they're writing to each other and it there is a body language that everybody uses whether they are doing a diatribe <laughs> they're typing their whole like everything that they ever thought about something in an angry chat room or if it's a loving exchange back and forth with somebody but we see them pausing and deleting and getting excited like that's what we see the very first thing we see at the beginning of the movie is both of them waiting for their partners to leave and then 
jumping onto the computer and being so excited to, to talk to each other, right? And that's body language that they don't see, but they're yeah. still expressing it. Mm. They just aren't seeing it with each other. But it's definitely also feeding the way that they write to each other too, because there's an excitement. Their body is kind of pushing mm. along that excitement of their words too. And it, it, it is hard. It's different, right? Like when you think about Hitch, like that, I, I love the movie because a lot of it is that body language, the way that they interact with each other, with all the couples interact with each other in that film. It really is the body language that they share. Whereas we don't see that as much in You've Got Mail, but it's still there. It's, it's still definitely there. still... Uh, this is so interesting, Sarah, because my mind also goes kind of in the other direction, not to say they can't be complimentary, but both of them have moments when they leave their apartments in the morning and they're walking through the city of New York and the Cranberries is playing on the soundtrack and like, all this is happening. And and Tom Hanks's character goes, you know, to walk around this building site of this future mega bookstore and his colleague is talking through the electrician is coming and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of this long spiel, He's like, so is the electrician coming today? And he's like, you didn't listen to a word I said, did you? And he's like, no. <laughs> and and then he says, like, all I all I can hear are the you know the footsteps on the streets of New York. And what he's doing is he's quoting the words from her email to himself. And she does the same thing later. And it's like the 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 words that they've shared have kind of become embodied, or at least in minded. Is that a word? I don't know. Let's quote. Let's create a word right now. But like it's taken over his mind space. And so like, he's not really present to the rest of the world because he's still in this exchange of the emails that they've had together. So it's like, they they might not see each other's bodies, but like, well, I guess they don't even see each other's minds in that way, but but it's certainly having an impact in, in, a, in a really, I mean, it's just adorable. Please watch this oh. film. And <laughs> <laughs> to circle back to Hitch real quick, I mean, ultimately Hitch is trying to teach them how to have a different type of body language, right? Like how to present differently huh. as uh-huh. these suave, I don't know, automatons. And yet every single <laughs> woman ultimately says that the reason they fell in love with the men that Hitch has connected mm-hmm. them to is because of their awkwardness, because of their goofiness. How, what, why, the one, why did, or when did you tell him to spill mustard on his shirt or, you know, different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and we think, again, we were talking about if, if the minutia, when we truly pause to notice someone, whether it yeah. be through their words or their actions, that that's when true connection can actually happen. I think there's, there's mm-hmm. something really beautiful to pull apart there. But yes, please watch this film. I'm sure we could all keep talking about this for a minute, but I am going to go ahead and and shift us forward into one of Sarah's and my favorite ways to end. And Casper, I'm going to ask you to start us off outside of You've Got Mail. What media are you enjoying right now? Well, after many years of kind of ignoring it, thinking I wouldn't like it, I finally started watching Schmigadoon, uh, which I believe is on, on on Apple TV, which is, if you are a fan of musical theater, you must watch this. It's uh, so much fun. It's sort of parodying or, 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 or uh, celebrating uh, classical musical theater in the first season, the second season. It, it goes to Schmicago. And so you get a very different world that this lovely uh, couple enters. Uh, but it's great fun. It's lots of silliness. And it, it's fun to play the game. Which song are they 
are they kind of parodying here? Or what's the what's the melody that this is building on? So Schmigadoon. And then I just had the pleasure to meet uh, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight in The Office, in the US version of The Office. Uh, and he's a fascinating guy. He's Baha'i, grew up Baha'i, and has kind of returned to that faith tradition in, in later years. And has written a wonderful book called Soul Boom that I've just started, where he talks about his kind of exploration of spirituality. And, and it's written for the kind of person who maybe isn't necessarily super spiritual, but just kind of curious about that world. Uh, and it's it's a wonderful, funny introduction and very honest and open. And uh, I just started it last night, but I'm, I'm really enjoying mm. it so far. How about you both? Yeah, Shmigadoon, I have to say, it's it's on my list because Kristen Chenoweth and Alan Cumming are in it. I'm following yes. Kristen Chenoweth on, during uh, COVID. This was her being like, let's figure out how to do a TV show during COVID. She posted a lot about it then. And I know Sarah has been like, let's talk about it on the podcast. And I go, I need to favor <laughs> Apple TV first. Uh, I have. I've been trying to beg her to do that one and Ted Lasso. Those are the two on Apple TV I'm that I've been there. begging her to watch. <laughs> time to time to hashtag share accounts, but we won't do that because I'm sure that's illegal. <clears throat> um. uh, so I'll go super fast. I am a huge fan of Becky Chambers. She's one of my favorite sci-fi authors, um, especially as a queer author in the sci-fi space. She just has such a cool perspective. And this was the second book after, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget the name of the first book in this series, but um, she paid for it with a GoFundMe. I mean, basically uh, she had been writing on several online spaces and then finally said, "I, I want to commit to this, but I don't know how to do it while also doing my full-time work. And so she set up a GoFundMe and was able to take a full year to write this first book, which won a lot of awards and now has become a whole series. Um, but this was the second one called A Closed and Common Orbit. And as in our current world of AI, I mean, there is um, mm. a, a character who is, who is an artificial intelligence and talking about like wh- where does their humanity play into this? Uh, there's a character who is ultimately a clone. So a lot of it comes down to kind of the two main characters we're following back and forth. How do we define family? How do we define humanity? How do we define connection across time and space? I mean, literally the galaxy, lots of just really beautiful um, third trimester late night reading life right now. So <laughs> reading it in the middle of the night, be like, oh, I want to know what happens next. I guess I'm not going to sleep anyway. Uh, but then uh, my partner... <laughs> The, the book series that he always goes back to is uh, The Wheel of Time. If I see him with a new book, mm. it's novel. I'm usually, he's reading The Wheel of Time. So he has been very excited about the Amazon Prime series and season two just finished this past week. And what I've enjoyed is that the TV show has allowed us to talk about this story that he's loved for so long in, in a way that isn't me reading 500 page novels all the time with him so <laughs> there's a good middle ground here uh but it's also whew, there was one episode it reminded me of the handmaid's tale in the level of just Ooh. the psychological warfare mm-hmm. in a again in a fantasy space the way that it can really pull us apart as humans and maybe show us the underbelly that we aren't always willing to talk about because it, it has this you know like distant lens um so that's what i've been enjoying sarah what about you uh, well, first of all, I love Schmigadoon, and we, my husband and I loved that, and Schmicago. We thoroughly enjoyed those. And I actually read Soul Boom a few months ago after he did uh, an episode with Sky Shazani on um, the Holy Post podcast, and I was like, I think I need to read it. And it's so good. 
It is mm. so good. Like it's just really thought provoking about a lot of different things. And it, it, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I read Beach Read after having many people recommend to me, including Alicia, some Emily Henry. So I enjo- thoroughly enjoyed Beach Read. And then she told me I had to read Book Lover. So I read that one too. But as I was reading Beach Read, <laughs> I just needed something fun and light and all I could think about was you've got mail because I knew that was coming up and we were going to be recording that. And there's just so much like little moments in there and it's a love letter to books. And I, anything that's that's a love letter to writing and a love letter to books, I'm going to love. Um, And then way on the opposite side of the spectrum, we did finish Yellowstone and then my husband and I sped through 1883 which is the pre-prequel to Yellowstone. And I loved it way more than even Yellowstone. Like Yellowstone has characters that I found despicable and I could not stand them. But 1883, it's, we have this romanticized notion in America and maybe in Great Britain, you have this one too, but this romanticized notion of the American West and mm-hmm. how the West was settled and how people went out on the Oregon Trail. And when and as a kid in the eighties, we played Oregon Trail. Like there was this whole idea that it was not nearly as horrible and hard as it actually was and i think the show does a really good job of showing just how complicated a trail out west was the nuances of what's happening when you're crossing land that does belong to indigenous peoples and then the the warfare that happened because of that and um i thoroughly enjoyed it i like a good western if i have to be honest but this one just was more honest and nuanced than what you normally get with older classic westerns mm. so we enjoyed it i gotta check it out <laughs> well and emily it, and it has and it's faith hill and um tim mcgraw and tim mcgraw the, wow they, they are the main mm. characters and then it's sam, is it sam o'neill he's the old the guy that my husband and i were like he has been old since we were kids <laughs> like he just he's only sam elliott sam elliott yeah. yeah and like he's been he has been old since we were children and we're like how is he still playing the old grizzled cowboy but he's still playing this old grizzled cowboy old and, and he was uh oh he was fantastic i mean it just, it just was really very well done and beautifully going through the landscape we lived in texas for six years and so we've been to west texas so seeing them travel through west texas up through kansas like it just brought back some of them i'm i'm looking up on maps and trying to figure out which rivers they're crossing as they're going on this trail out west and uh yeah. So it was, it's, it's a beautifully told story that is also really gritty and really hard at times. So we enjoyed it. And Emily Henry, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but she is the perfect example of the nineties rom-com movie has shifted over into novel space. And she definitely plays with the enemies to lover trope in a lot of her books. Fun, lighthearted read. This one specifically based in Michigan, which Sarah and I both love as Midwesterners. That also made me really happy yep. that it was like it uh, talking about Lake Michigan and I was, it, it brought back my own memories of going to Lake Michigan. Mm. It was good. Mm. <laughs> well, Casper, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation today. It has been such a joy to have you here at Lit Think. Um, I'm going to remind everyone that you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Lit Think Podcast and subscribe to our Substack newsletter. Uh, and don't forget some plans are changing a bit, but Lit Think will still be at NCTE in November. Super exciting. National English Teachers Conference. Woot woot. 
This has been Sarah and Alicia signing off. Fun lit thinking people. <laughs> <laughs>